Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're joined now by Mylan and Kay Yurkovich. Mylan is an ordained minister and a counselor, and Kay is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Together, they wrote the acclaimed book, How We Love. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on Takeaways. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you. So I'm fascinated by uh, the book that you've written and really what you're focusing on. And many people have heard about uh, the five love languages and people have seen the Myers-Briggs personality uh, analysis and Enneagrams and things like that. But what you talk about is something that's really well researched and you talk about early family experiences and you've given it a name or it is known by attachment theory. Tell us what that is. Go ahead. All right. Attachment theory is about 70 years of research on what happens when um, mom and babies connect and go throughout the lifespan. And if you have a lot of memories of comfort and you have a lot of memories where a parent was able to show um, feelings and entertain your feelings, then you're going to have what we would call a secure attachment. Uh, But for many of us, um, we don't have any perfect parents because it's not a perfect world. Mm -hmm. And so attachment theory is just the study of how people connect and and how they manage stress Mm. and how that impacts them through a lifespan. And when they're stressed, Kirk, uh, do they go to people for comfort Mm -hmm. or do they go to non-relational means? to provide comfort for themselves. That's right, coping mechanisms and that can be- As well as all the addictions, Kirk, you know, that people turn to to make the difficult feelings go away. How how do you manage difficult emotions Mm -hmm. is a lot of what they're looking at. And that's what your book is is based on. And I'm highly interested in this because uh, my wife and I have a lot at stake. We've got a lot of skin in the game. We've got six kids. We've got 30 years under our belt. I I wanna cross the finish line strong like you are. You've been married now for how many years? 49. 49 years. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Hey, that means it's working. It's it is. Working. Keep, it's keep working. what you're doing. Now, tell us why you chose attachment theory as the basis for the book that you wrote. We were struggling ourselves and at the 15-year mark in our marriage, even though I was a pastor and we were seeking to apply all the biblical principles we could we didn't understand why we had a reaction between the two of us that caused us to feel uncomfortable and not do well. And it was a sticking point in our marriage. We discovered, and Kate was introduced to attachment research in her training, and we realized that it was answering a question, uh, why we were struggling in our relationship. Yeah, it's actually an answer to prayer. It really was. We really asked the Lord to help us understand that. When I look back now, I can say we didn't really know what was broken. Right. And so how do you fix something when you don't understand the root? And when I started to read attachment theory and the different styles, I was like, wait, this describes the root of my core complaints about him Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Do you think that this, looking back at early family experiences, has 
uh, a biblical basis to it, or at least you can tie it to scripture, like maybe something like generational sin or things like that? That's a great question. And you know, what's interesting is when we use that word generational sin, we ask, well, what is that? And it can simply be something that's neglected, Kirk. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know how to hug my child. I don't know how to talk to my child. I don't know how to sing to my child. And so what happens is that the child grows up without a relational experience. Mm. So it's not as though it's necessarily overt sin. It's more of sins of omission in mm. many cases. While there is overt mm. sin, granted, these are often cases where the parents just didn't know better. Yeah. And so yeah. we are, and here's the other thing, many of these imprints are before we have verbal language in the pre-verbal years, zero to 18, two, 18 months, two years. So what happens is, is that we have no retrievable memory about that experience, but it puts into our right brain an implicit memory which says, I'm comfortable in a relationship, I wanna go to mm. you when I'm stressed, or I wanna run away from you when I'm stressed. And that's an implicit body memory more than an explicit thing that I can recall. What are some examples of things that may have happened to us in the past that inform how we behave today? Well, I'll use myself as an example. Um, when I was growing up, I know my parents loved me, but neither one of them knew how to really entertain emotions. If I got uh, sad, my dad said, you better stop crying or I'm gonna give you something to cry about. Mm. And my mom just got very anxious. And so I learned early on Feelings are not something that go well. If you just don't show feelings, everybody seems a lot happier. And mm. now it's not a conscious choice on my part. You know, I learned very early to not cry, um, to keep things to myself. And when I was upset, I, I didn't learn to go to people. I learned to go to things or I, I had a motto of, I'm fine and I'll take care of it myself. Mm. And that wasn't a conscious choice. It was a result of experiences that um, occurred in my family. Lack and of development, maybe. It was a say. lack of development. And then I grew up in a place where I was afraid. I had a lot of anxiety as a child because I had an explosive mm -hmm. parent. And when things got quiet at my house, I knew a storm was coming. Or there had been a big explosion and there was a storm, a quietness for days yeah. afterwards. Well, Kay's an introverted avoider, so she doesn't talk a lot. You know, mm -hmm. she's more quiet. And if she was quiet or distant, I would start to get very agitated on the inside. And so I'd start to overly pursue her and ask her, are you all right? Are you all right? Is everything okay? Are you fine. sure you're okay? I'm fine. fine. Are you I'm sure always you're fine. I'm asking no, these you're questions. Not okay. Exactly. <laughs> and so it set up this pursuer-distancer relationship. And mm. that was irritating to both of us. So then you get married. How do these early life experiences affect the way that we love one another in marriage? Well, we love one another poorly if we don't understand yeah. these truths. Uh, the divorce rate outside the church and inside the church is atrocious uh, because we really don't understand these types of interactions and these reactions between the two of us. Marriage is a great exposer because I'm with yeah. you all the time. And yeah. so I can be great by myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a great guy all by myself. I crack myself up with my own jokes and I don't bug me. But when I get into a relationship with Kay, I start to feel what I described earlier. Yeah, these attachment wounds really bloom 
especially in primary relationships. That's right. And they'll bloom with your kids. Your kids can provoke some of these reactions from you as well. Anxiety and stress is not something that we look forward to, but you talk about how anxiety can actually be a benefit in a relationship. How so? Well, it actually wasn't a, be a benefit because it caused me to over-pursue her and to literally push her further away because she's going, ew, he's too needy. Mm. And then I would say she was too distant. And so that was our complaint toward one another. Well, I would say stress was helpful in this way. It was the exposure. It was the exposure. So when we have those bad feelings, go ahead. Well, when you have the bad feelings, you know, you don't necessarily know what to do with them, but God really answered our prayer. Like we knew something was wrong, but mm -hmm. we didn't know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. And we had applied biblical principles. We, we really tried to do whatever the Bible said. And what we found was that God really answered our prayer in, in sending us this research because it explained the root of where we were, where we were struggling and why we were struggling. It was the root of the bad fruit. Mm. Yes, it was. This is fascinating. I wanna talk about so much more. When we come back, we're gonna discuss different love styles that we all have developed and how we can grow to have healthier relationships. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Mylan and Kay Yurkovich. Now, before the break, we were talking about how early childhood experiences impact how we love today. I'm very excited to be talking with you right now because I know I'm gonna go home a changed man. My <laughs> wife is gonna look at me and she's gonna say, who are you and what did you do with my husband? <laughs> um, you talk about different love styles in your book and I can't wait to get into these. What does an avoider look like? Uh, how do they get that way, and what really gets under their skin? Well, I'll answer that, because I was the avoider. You were the avoider. I've grown out of that style, but that's definitely where I spent the first 15 years of our marriage and as a parent. And the avoider comes from a home where there, it's more about task and mastery, and there's little comfort, there's little emotional connection, there's no deep conversation. And so the avoider learns to be independent, self-sufficient, they're more interested in tasks than when someone's emotional or needy. They just don't know what to do because nobody was able to do something for them in that place. So they, they don't offer comfort. They don't receive comfort well. And what will really get under the skin of an avoider is someone who is needy and crying or emotional or angry and upset. And they just don't know what to do. Yeah. And so their spouse feels like, you know, you're, you're stonewalling me or you're, you're not helping me out here. And the truth is they don't have enough experience of connection to even know what they're missing. And so they, they're confused by what people want and often have a spouse who complains 
you know, my husband doesn't really need me or my wife doesn't really seem to connect with me in any way that's emotional. And yeah. they don't realize that that's really a root foundation of how they grew up. Th there's another style that you call a pleaser. Um, how are they different and how might people become pleasers? Well, they're very similar to the avoider in that they are not in touch with their feelings. They do not like conflict or any kind of confrontation of any type. Mm -hmm. They typically are your soft serve uh, ice cream people where they want to make it very nice and easy. And so really, I wasn't very honest, A, with myself or B, with K. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say I was doing fine as well. Were you a pleaser? I was. And I was, but I was basically afraid inside to, you know, make the waters ripple. I was afraid to cause any kind of dissension. And I had a weak level of anger and I had a hard time saying no, you know, no, the inability to say no because I wanted to make you happy. So there is a lot of disingenuineness. Uh, I didn't know myself well on the inside. And um, as a result, it was... It, it caused me to be anxious around her because I needed more attention to settle that anxiety. I don't any longer when I realized it was all inside of me. If you're a vacillator, what does that mean? Uh, do, do they generally get upset in a different way? You know, vacillators usually come from homes where there's inconsistent connection. And so they're often disappointed and waiting for time and attention from a parent. So dating is a great period for the vacillator because there's a lot of connection, there's a lot of intensity, there's a lot of, um, you know, togetherness. But vacillators are really um, upset when they have to wait. They become upset. They waited as kids for time and attention. And so when, you know, you have kids and you have jobs and they're waiting for time and attention, mm -hmm. um, they're on a quest for that kind of constant, intense connection they missed as kids. They want, you want you there all the time making contact and so they're disappointed a lot because that isn't real life you can't make that much connection but they don't realize that they're the wound is underneath so avoiders manage stress by detaching pleasers manage it by being nice fast leaders protest they're the protesters so they'll tell you what's wrong what you need to do and how you need to change it not realizing that there's a wound inside of abandonment driving that need for intense connection. What about a controller? Does a controller have a different experience in their childhood? Controllers and victims come from a home that we call chaotic or disorganized. And the chaotic disorganized home is a place where the child is stuck in a place where there is fright without any solutions. So the, the home is dangerous. There is addiction here. There is abuse. There is neglect. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a home where many children grow up and the church is full of people mm -hmm. that come to Christ, but this is their history. And so what happens with this individual is they will tend to gravitate toward one or, or two or the other uh, propensities. One is to be highly controlling of their environment mm. because they want predictability. They want no surprises. They don't want anything to startle them or be dangerous to them. So they control their world very rigidly. The victim, on the other hand, has learned to tolerate the intolerable their whole life because they 
want to stay under the radar and try and dodge all the mm -hmm. things that are going on in the home. And so when they walk into adulthood, they remain or retain that role of the victim where they are easily taken advantage of. They don't have an adult voice. These types of people often also dissociate when they're under stress or when they're in a, a, a place where they're frightened. They'll basically disconnect from the experience mm -hmm. and not, really not be present. They look like they're there, but they're really not. And so these are some of the things that we encounter with people that have had severe backgrounds. Wow, this is, this is just fascinating. We've talked about the avoider, we've talked about the pleaser, the vacillator, now the controller and the victim. Uh, what is the secure connector? Mm -hmm. The secure connector is one of those fortunate people who had parents who really knew how to emotionally connect they were good at comfort, they were good at listening. So they, they made their child feel safe and secure and seen. And they were able to adapt to different stages and ages. So that person grows into adulthood with a lot of great skills. They're good listeners, they know how to be close, but they know how to give you space. Um, they are very good at um, helping uh, see when someone needs comfort or when someone needs um, attention, but they're not afraid to give you some um, room to be yourself. They're just uh, good at helping people grow in a way that really helps them later on in their life. They manage stress well. So the secure connector is sort of the goal. It's like where we're going right. um, to heal from these wounds and our sanctification journey was very different. I had to learn to know what I felt, have uh, awareness of feelings, and move towards him and allow myself to need him, he had to learn to separate and not follow me around and ask me how I was all the time. Sorry. I had to learn to be okay by myself. Yeah. That's right. Is it possible to have more than one style in the way we love one another? You know, it, it is possible. Um, we find people from traumatic homes relate almost to all of these. And these are all coping mechanisms, how we handle a lack of emotional connection. So um, when, you know, the, the traumatized people say, well, I, they probably tried it all. We just say, start with the thing you do the most in the relationship you most want to change. Um, but I was definitely an avoider with him, a bit more of a pleaser um, with my friends. He's a pleaser all pretty much with everyone and everybody. Was. Was. Good point. So once we identify, hey, I think I understand now why I'm reacting the way that I am in this relationship, the way I'm coping with stress in an unhealthy way. How then do we begin to move toward that secure connector style? Well, for the avoider, they really have to learn what they feel. They have to, I needed a feeling word list. I could not just come up with a feeling. I had to look at a list of words and say, oh, maybe it's this one. I oh. actually prayed for God to give me my tears back. Pleasers need to learn to separate, be, be able to be angry, be able to say no. Vacillators need to learn to get sad instead of mad, integrate good and bad. You know, it's, you're either all good or you're all bad. Um, and they need to learn that every day is both good and bad and that the reactivity and the disappointment is um, bigger than it needs to be. It's bigger because of their history. We carry all of 
our birthdays inside of us and those mm -hmm. experiences from our entire life are still inside of us. And empathy is a very important place for the controller and the victim. Yeah, they'll go. smile when telling you a really painful story. Mm -hmm. They'll joke about it and say, oh, yeah, well, I, it, it, I survived. It was, it's fine now. And they're just very cut off. People with trauma are often very cut off from the reality of their childhood. Right. So the comfort circle, which is the last part of our book, is the solution for healing and growing. Okay. It has th four biblical positions. One, to be self-aware and describe your inner feelings. Like God does, he describes his emotions from Genesis to Revelation. Then to speak the truth and love one to another. Mm -hmm. Then to learn to listen and ask more questions about what does that mean? What else do you to feel? To be curious instead of defensive. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then lastly, to comfort one another, which the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, to learn to then provide comfort for whatever the experience of the speaker is. And we learn to listen to each other and have great conversations. And it was something we had to learn to do because we didn't learn it in our early childhoods. Mm -hmm. So if I wanna go back and visit wounds and trauma, how do I do that in a healthy way so that I'm not constantly living in the past, constantly identifying with my wounded, traumatized child, and then using that to manipulate people? You know, we don't look back to blame. Most parents do the best they can. Um, we look back to explain. And once you understand a wound, mm. then you have the ability, when you really see what the injury is, then you have a clear diagnosis. You know, someone who wants to change and grow is going to use that information to really change. Uh, the victim or the person who acts like, well, poor me, uses the information to continue to wallow in their yeah. wounds. And that's never the goal. That's not what Christ wants. He wants us to grow towards maturity and towards um, looking more like, loving more effectively. We don't understand the New Testament unless we understand the Old Testament. So God has, got a, God has got a history, and the New Testament wouldn't make any sense if we didn't understand that history. So to have an autobiographical sketch of yourself, to understand all of the impactful times in my life, for good and for bad, is really important to have this autobiographical sketch so I can know why I do what I do. Yeah. I really like what you're saying, and I love knowing that you're interpreting all of this through a biblical lens because it would be really easy for people to go and say, well, this is the story of what happened to you and because you were adopted, or that's why you've got these attachment issues and abandonment issues and therefore you're justified in how you feel and the things that you're saying and treating people, but you're saying, no, 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 no. Let's go back and remember that God's working all things together for good for those who love him. He's the author of your story and this is all heading toward victory and uh, health and character and faith. And we're not gonna use the past to complain, but maybe to explain and to, and, change. And to change. Can you give an example of a great action step a good takeaway that would begin to send us moving in the right direction? Yes, I can. We ask a question in the first chapter of our book. Do you have a memory of comfort during your childhood where a parent saw you were upset, they came to you, they asked you what you felt, they gave you an opportunity to explore and put words to what was inside of you, and you can say you left that experience feeling relief. If you have a lot of those kinds of memories, then you're gonna connect people to a place I can go to get comfort and help. If you don't have those kind of memories, which many people don't, 
you're not going to seek out a person when you're stressed and you're not okay. Mm. You're going to find other ways to cope that don't, don't need a personal touch. Which ignores your spouse. Right. Wow. So if, if as a kid, there was nobody I could go to for comfort, I just went to my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or I went to the TV or to my video games, right. or I went to something that was uh, addictive, that can follow through into my marriage. You will do Absolutely. that as an adult. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we become very good at the things we practice, and if we're practicing them from childhood, we That's become right. experts in That's our marriage. That's exactly right. That's Train a up point. a child in the way which he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's great. I love that. Where can people find more information about your work? They can go to howwelove.com, the name of our book, howwelove.com, and find out all about their attachment style. They can take a quiz, and they can find out about everything we said today there. This is great. I, I feel a little bit more like a secure connector after having talked with you. I th we'll see if my wife confirms this when I, when I get home. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.